This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Let's go, business storytellers. How's everyone doing? Hey, today we want to talk about the halo effect. And what that means is I brought in an expert, a fractional CMO, Erin Blasky. She's going to talk to us about that. But my understanding is we should connect with the people that can help us, you know, build our networks, um, give us credibility. Why do you guys think I quote all these awesome marketers on my show, right? I'm using their credibility to build my own. I think that's what she's talking about. We'll ask. But hey, I don't just do it because I want to build my own credibility, but I also do it because they have good stuff to share. So let's find out if Erin is willing to take me under her wing or her halo. Ha ha ha. Had to get that one in there. And um, let's learn about the halo effect. Erin, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Did you like my wordplay? That's the marketer. I, I honestly, I honestly loved it. In fact, I'm probably going to steal that <laughs> for future copy. <laughs> so if you do see it. it on anything I do, please, please just let me use it. <laughs> yeah. You can use it. It's not trademarked or anything. But anyway, amazing. Uh, so tell us about the halo effect. Why? What is it? Why is it important? And what should people do with it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, honestly, um, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head at the beginning, talking a little bit about how you, you're even using the halo effect. But essentially what it is, is, uh, is, so let me provide a little bit of context first. So I work with a ton of startups and scale-ups. Typically, the startups don't have, a, don't have much of a marketing team, if any. And the thing that they're always lacking is budget. So they don't have a lot of resource. They don't have a lot of budget. And they're often trying to compete against these much larger companies. So whether you have a service-based business or a product company, you're going to have competition. It's, you know, it's fierce out there. And oftentimes when these brands are first starting out, they haven't yet built up enough trust or credibility in the market in order to just go out to the market on their own and, you know, see the results that they're hoping for. And so one of the things that I've always done when I've joined a startup or a scale up and I've and I have these limitations in place, you know, lack of resource, lack of budget is I've looked around, you know, I've looked around to me, I've looked into like the networks that exist around this specific business. And I've asked myself the question, how can I leverage other people's brand you know, credibility, you know, what they've already built up, the authority that they have, uh, maybe some of their thought leadership, like, how can I take some of that and pull it into the business that I'm working with, in an effort to get to, you know, those customers a little bit faster, or potentially get more visibility, or, or even just have that, that, you know, that trust and credibility a bit faster. So this has looked you know, we and we'll. I'm sure we'll dive into all the different ways that you can do this. This has looked a lot of different ways for a lot of different companies. Uh, you know, you, like I said, you hit the nail on the head. A podcast is one of those things that is a great way to leverage a halo effect. Uh, essentially, you're you know you're pulling in these thought leaders. They typically already have a brand. They typically have a network, and you're just basically leveraging the capital that they've already built 
while also bringing a lot of value to your community as well. So it's not just about, as you said, it's not just about, you know, leveraging the brand for the sake of it, but you actually are bringing in a lot of value that you maybe can't create or produce all on your own, right? That's hard. I, I mean, that's how I do it, but I can tell you, I'm I'm certain there's people out there who don't do that who would just want to talk to people because they want to um, harness their brand or whatever. Now, mm-hmm. maybe I'm just getting too old and too pessimistic at my <laughs> old age. But um, so, so tell me about the. I mean, there's a difference when. So when you bring somebody in, right, and you're mm-hmm. trying to work with them, and they work with everybody. I mean, it's like. So let's just go with like way on the top here, Patrick yeah. Mahomes. State Farm Insurance. <laughs> if you don't, I think it's State Farm, right? So if all of a sudden he does Geico, I mm-hmm. mean, do people like can't like you have to draw the line, right? So if if some expert gives their halo effect to every single person out there, like at what point do people go, yeah, whatever? You endorse and you work with everybody. Like doesn't mean jack. Yeah, that's actually a really great question. And I think that actually has, there's equal responsibility um, for that on both sides, right? There's equal responsibility from the spokesperson, if you will, or the, you know, the influencer, if you want to use that word as well. And there's equal responsibility from the brand. So if I think back to the brands that I've, you know, worked on building, especially leveraging this approach, what I've done is I've looked into the space you know, I've looked into like, I'll, I'll use uh, the last company I was at as an example. So they were a meeting uh, productivity tool or a meeting management tool. Essentially, you could do collaborative meeting agendas on their platform. And they're, and the, the primary target market that they served was typically managers or leaders of teams. And so what I would do is instead of just going to anyone, right, anyone who was willing to share their name or, or lend their, you know, their sort of their halo to um, us as a brand, I really looked into the market to say, well, who are the managers and leaders that have a following that have that sort of established thought leadership in the area that my customers are also going to care about? And then, you know, I went after those people specifically. So I think when you're doing that from the brand perspective, you really need to make sure there's alignment. I think just, you know, pulling in influencers or pulling in people um, you know, who have a bit of clout for the sake of it is not necessarily the most effective thing. You also want to make sure that the network they have is the network you're trying or the it's the audience that you're trying to, you know, reach yourself. And so if I was to just use, you know, let's say a fashion influencer for that same business, I may not have as much success as if I went after someone who's already serving managers and leaders with their own community. So that's kind of the responsibility on the brand side. I think as an, you know, the spokesperson, influencer, person with the network, whatever you want to call them, the person who's built their brand uh, on that side, that's a whole other conversation. And unfortunately, uh, we can't always control what those people do or who they lend their name out to. I do think, though, that if there are those people, you know, who are doing that, they are absolutely cannibalizing their own personal brand. Uh, you know, essentially, you know, it would be no different than as a parenting influencer if I was working with Huggies and Pampers at the same time, right? I'm going to lose a little bit of credibility to my own audience because I look then like I'm selling out to everyone versus really being aligned with products I love and use. So I think it's, again, responsibility on both sides. Sides has to be there. So what's interesting about, I was just thinking about that. So I do a lot of Amazon lives and I do a lot of Amazon live product videos now, honestly. Yep. And um, 
like I will review anything, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Like, you know what I mean? And I've worked with um, different manufacturers of Wi-Fi extenders. And what's interesting, I, I do agree with what you said in, in mm-hmm. concept. I really, really do. And for the most part. <laughs> but maybe Amazon is just different because on Amazon, I review anything. If somebody wants to send mm-hmm. me their Wi-Fi extender, I'll check it. But see, I'm not necessarily, it's not guaranteed that I will endorse it, right? Exactly. What's guaranteed is that I will try it and that mm-hmm. I will say, here's what worked, here's what didn't work. And by now, just to stick with the topic of, of Wi-Fi extenders, I've used so yeah. many. Mm-hmm. I like to think I kind of know what the industry standard is. And when it's off that, I'll say, well, this one is hard to use because of whatever, or this, I like this about this one. So I guess that's a little bit of a different model, but but ultimately they're not talking to me because they don't want to reach my audience. They're they're talking to me because they want me to talk positively about them. Yeah, I think and, and reviews are such an interesting space. Um, on and obviously such a you know it, it has its own strategy uh, as well. Reviews are interesting. I think you can review multiple products as a person, you know, as an influencer or someone who has that sort of authority or credibility, so long as the reviews are honest, right? To your point, you're always honest with them. I think that's like sort of checkbox number one. I would say checkbox number two is that, you know, I think where people lose credibility in the market on the, you know, being again, the we'll call it the rented halo. Um, if you are that person, you lose credibility in the market. If you're going out to the market and saying, that every Wi-Fi extender is the best on the market. You know, if you started saying that, then your credibility around that that's, um, particular space is going to erode very quickly. So I think, you know, you review lots for sure, but I think it's where you place that sort of flagpole in the ground. And just a friendly reminder, if you haven't heard me say it before, my friends, if you say we are the premier, the best, the industry <laughs> leader, Whatever. I don't care what it is. I bet you your competitor is saying the same thing. Absolutely. So honestly, I would never say the best in any review. Uh, makes I mean, it makes sense to me. I, I don't like those terms, quite frankly. This is the best podcast, Aaron, you've ever been on. The <laughs> end. Um, right? I mean, it's total. I mean, it's total baloney. Everybody has <laughs> their own positive and negative uh, things of their shows. So you talk yeah. about lack of resources. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, here's the reality of things. I mean, you tell me if you disagree, but I've worked with teams of 0.25 people yeah. all the way up to 80 people on a marketing team. And guess what? Nobody ever has enough resources. Everybody no. always says they could use more, right? So it's like, that's not a race anybody can win. Marketing is a is honestly a sinkhole. <laughs> you know, like yeah. at the end of the day, there's so much we can do. There are so many channels. There's so many tactics. There are so many, you know, avenues to explore. And we just can't get it all done, you know, effectively. Or, I mean, even, I mean, effectively, sure. Like maybe at a larger team size. But even then, you know, it's still a bottomless pit. And so I think what I've always tried to do, especially with those, you know, really early companies that I'm working with that that really are the ultimate in resource strapped on both sides of the fence is I've always brought them back to the goals they're trying to achieve. And, and I'll use an example just because I, I like examples to make things feel a bit more concrete. Um, so I was working with this one a startup company that was in the e-com slash kind of retail space. And they had a platform and they were trying to reach these really big brands. You know, obviously as a startup, if you can land a big brand as a a customer, 
that's a huge win. And it usually leads to more of the same sort of sales. Uh, you know, you d- it just sometimes takes the one to be able to then convince everyone else. And so they wanted to really reach this, um, you know, this set of customers. And so we identified two to three customers that they could probably go after, uh, but they didn't have a sales team and they also didn't really have any credibility in the market yet. So they knew that it, even if they did go out with a sales pitch, it would probably fall flat. And so I gave them the idea instead of going the sales route, I said, why don't we actually take a much more kind of marketing slash, you know, this halo effect kind of route. And why don't we reach out to the brands that you want as customers? And instead of, you know, pitching your product, instead of talking about you, let's put them as the hero in this, you know, sort of journey in this story. And instead, let's ask if they want to be interviewed for your blog. And so we went out to them. We, you know, pitched this idea of interviewing them for our e-com and retail blog. We positioned it as, you know, that we really thought that they had a lot of expertise, which they did. This wasn't a lie. Like, you know, we did our research. Uh, we did our homework, looked them up on LinkedIn, made sure that they were posting regularly about this subject. And we went after them. And we were actually able to use that approach to land a top executive at Roots Canada, which is a Canadian clothing brand. Uh, So we got this top executive at Roots Canada to give this interview. And keep in mind, this is a brand new startup. The entire team was maybe five people, (laughs) you know, across like every department, not marketing. And uh, they did have a, a marketing student intern for the summer that I was working closely with. And so Um, she actually got the person on the phone. She did this whole like interview piece, asked them questions about like where they thought the future of retail was going challenges that, you know, they might've had, uh, maybe at roots. And then we published that as a blog post. So the, you know, first and foremost, it was great because from a content perspective, it cost us really nothing except time, you know, to be able to get that piece of content. But when we shared it out on social, and with all of our community, and then they shared it with their community and their networks, it had so much more effect, you know, overall than it ever would have if we had published a blog post, let's say, on our own thoughts of the future of retail and e-commerce. And so just just that simple process of going through, you know, that that um, those steps, again, generated this piece of content. But I have even better news because... <laughs> it actually led to a sales conversation. So after the person shared the blog post on their own social feeds, it got shared enough by, you know, the, the company that it landed on the radar of one of their business development people. And they actually reached out and said, Hey, your platform's actually kind of interesting, you know, great interview with like our colleague. Um, can we set up a call? And so they set up that call and they landed the business and they have since used this exact approach to land. I, I think at least from a very public perspective that I can, you know, glean uh, from my, from on, on my own. Um, they've done this at least five to six times where they've been able to land a client by coming in in a much more passive way. And again, had that benefit of being exposed to all of these other, you know, retail and e-commerce people uh, through these, the, the channels of the, the folks that were interviewed. So just like a brilliant strategy, super easy with zero resources or budget. Well, it's not super easy because you still have to do a show and talk about it, but it's a lot easier in my opinion too, than, you know, just chasing people nonstop. And um, as some people like to say, hunt them, right. Which I'm not a fan of that verbiage, quite frankly. So I think James Carberry, Sweetfish Media, the the B2B podcast people, I don't know if they were the first ones 
who shared this concept, but they kind of introduced that to at least me, right? Mm -hmm. You inter you interview people on your podcast that you want to work with. Um, it's not yes. truly the model I use. I mean, honestly, my this show is now being distributed so far and wide. I'm really just looking for the good content, right? Yeah. Is it a good fit? What can we do? What can we talk about? So where's that? So I'll say this up front, my friends. Mm -hmm. I really am sorry. I, I'm going to admit this to you guys. But if I can do a podcast and the content stinks mm -hmm. and I sign a $100,000 deal, I'm okay with that. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you guys are listening. I'm okay with that. Now, if I had a horrible podcast because of this concept and I never sign any deals, like now I'm not winning at all. Now I'm losing. But there is a fine line, right? So if you have people, I mean, you have to get people on your show, whether they're a prospect or not. And if it never, if it turns into money every time, maybe nobody cares if the podcast is good and you just count the, Benjamins, you know, but mm -hmm. like, where's that line? How do you figure out to still grow your audience um, while you're also, you know, trying to partner with people? Yeah, yeah, that's a, I think that's a really great question. I would say that I, I actually would try very, very hard to never lower your quality bar. And I know that that's, I know that that's not very possible. You know, I know it's not always possible, but I do think that in order to have that trust and credibility with the market, once things go out, you know, in order to present that person, let's say that interviewee from Roots Canada in the best light possible, I do think you have to have a super, you know, high quality production. Now, when I say production, I don't always mean a podcast, right? Like it could be even something that you've written and you're publishing on your blog, or maybe it's, uh, you know, something that you're just publishing on social media, or it's like a live stream or whatever it is, like the medium can can differ. But I would say, you know, bite off the piece that you know that you can deliver on really, really well. Because I do think that when you don't have that quality bar in place, I think people's tastes are, you know, uh, like uh, are the quality we expect from, you know, all of these mediums that we're, we're um, consuming, it's gone up a lot. You know, production value has gone up. Uh, what we can do from home has gone up from a technological perspective. And I think, you know, consumers expect more um, and they expect better. So I would say that if you can, don't lower that quality bar. Focus on, uh, you know, producing just high value content. It doesn't always have to produce, you know, a business deal on the other side of it for it to be worthwhile. There's so many other benefits that we could get into with content, right? Like if you do a podcast and then you transcribe it and you put that on your blog and you share it on social, now you, you know, there's a brand awareness element to that. That's really great. Um, and again, like the networking side. So there's lots of benefits, not every single episode need, or, or blog post or whatever needs to have an, an ROI attached. Uh, but I do think it should always be high quality. So do what Aaron said. Don't do what I just said. Forget anything. <laughs> we'll edit that out. Uh, what's interesting too about the quality. So since you know most every life every show I do is live streamed, you know. So there's very little. It does come back to can the guest have a conversation? Do they know what they're yes. talking about? Right. Yeah. So that stuff is super super important anymore um, when it comes to these shows. So at the end of the day. You know, there was a, there was a podcast. They said they don't publish twenty or twenty five percent of the shows they record, mm -hmm. and I'm thinking that's not even an option for me because 
we're yeah. live, you know, like, I mean, I guess I, I couldn't yeah. publish the podcast, but at the end of the day, the live stream and, and the TV and everything together, right? That's where people watch mm-hmm. everything. So it's just, it's one piece of everything. It's not everything how it used to be. Yeah. So, Was it the Unmistakable Creative podcast that said that? Because I, I read that on uh, like the host's LinkedIn, that they, they're mm-hmm. ruthless. Like if the, if the content doesn't meet their, you know, the top kind of quality bar that they've set, they'll, they'll literally throw it out. It doesn't matter who it is. Like it could be like, you know, best-selling, like New York Times best-selling author and they'll still throw it out if the, the, the interview. Yeah, bad. it's, it's, and it's, it's everybody, right? Sometimes people struggle with, you know, what they want to do. So I yeah. love certain collaborations. I'll give you an example. People reach mm-hmm. out to me and they say, Christoph, we got a question. We might quote you in this article. Like Content Marketing Institute does this all the time. Mm-hmm. It takes me five minutes at most, right? Mm-hmm. Super effective. And they use it in like eight articles or whatever. Yes. Um, other, people, yeah. other people do that, right? And it's like, I really, it's I like that. It's efficient. Then I got other people who say, could you record a 20-minute video to, you know, whatever? And I'm like, no. Could mm-hmm. you write a 500-word answer to, No. So, like, I got my rules, right, on on what I do for free, when I participate. Um, And you know what? Honestly, those rules apply to anybody. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't even look, you know, whether it's a big company or a small company. If they send me a question, it's easy to answer. I just answer it at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, How do companies get started? I mean, is that one way to do it? Or or how do you you even reach out and, um, you know, get those mm-hmm. connections. Yeah, yeah, and I love that you brought that up because I actually I can't I couldn't agree with you more. I think that brands that are making these asks of people, you know, that are looking to bring in these these folks that have a network, um you have to make the ask easy. You have to make it super simple for them to say yes to. And some of the things you just pointed out are are actually tactics that I've used as well. So the the like the quick you know, what's your one sort of, you know, short answer to this one question. And then you ask that question of 20 to 25 people, let's say, and now you actually have a pretty lengthy blog post um, with all these individuals that you can tag on social without any one person having to do a lot of work. That's also why I like the interview approach. So I like, you know, getting someone on the phone and simply just saying 20, 30 minutes of your time max. And even if you don't have that, let's do it in 10 or 15. Like we can be flexible here, but getting them on the phone and just having them answer questions, record that and you do the work later. Like you don't, you know, like they don't have to do any of that work. The easier you can make it, the more likely it is that they'll say yes. But I've used that approach a lot. I think brands need to, you know, in terms of getting started with this, you need to know your market. So you need to know your audience really, really well. What do they want? What are they trying to learn? You know, what problems are they are they faced with that you could potentially help them solve? And that'll be sort of your first clues in terms of the content focus that you should, you know, sort of choose to start. And then from there, you need to go out into the market and look to see like who's already talking about these things. So, you know, in the case of the company that I was just at, the meeting agenda, you know, um, tool, if I, if I recognize that those individuals, the managers and the leaders that we were, fo- that we were targeting, if I recognize that they needed content about one-on-one meetings, let's just say, then I can now go into the market and look to see who else is already talking about one-on-ones, who is an established expert in this. And it makes the ask now that much more relevant. And so then the next step I need to take from there, though, is I need to really look and assess 
um, you know, their, their own social profiles, their public networks. And the reason I want to assess that is not every single person that, uh, you know, is, let's say, in a specific role already, or maybe they work at a specific company, they're not all going to be sharing content that is on point to, uh, you know, the, the thing that you're hoping that they share content about. Um, they sometimes might only be on social, for example, for very personal reasons, and therefore the alignment may not be there. So you want to assess that. And then from there, figure out, you know, what is the ask? What's that very simple ask that you can go out to them with that they're much more likely to say yes to? Um, because, Chris, if I'm the same as you, I have all the same rules, right? If someone emails me and it's a book, they're getting a response in like three weeks from now. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I can't, I, I don't have time. But if someone sends me literally like a quick, like, hey, this is the problem I'm faced with. Um, this is a solution I'm thinking about. What are your thoughts? I'm going to respond to that much more quickly. Or, you know, we're compiling a blog post on top marketing podcasts. Which ones would you recommend? Again, quick and easy to respond to. Uh, so, yeah. So think about the, the ask and then just go for it. That's my final piece of advice. Honestly, I think so many people hesitate to ask, uh, especially big names, you know, people with really big networks, CEOs, et cetera. Um, they they just hesitate to ask, uh, and I've honestly I've I've asked people for things, you know, it, it, like that I had no business asking for, <laughs> you know, and and they have said yes if I've made it really really easy and showed them where the value is for them as well. And and the problem is you don't necessarily know the rules that people go by. I'll give you an example. Yes. Seth Golden was on the show. I had no idea what Seth's rules were, right, for mm -hmm. how he decides to go on podcasts. Somebody else said later, it's you have to have 100 episodes. Well, how do you get to 100 episodes? Easy breezy, mm -hmm. right? You have to keep publishing <laughs> episodes. Like, yes. that's, the, that's how you get there. So in the last 30 I know the time always flies so much <laughs> fantastic content, Aaron. Um, tell, tell me again, why would people reach out to you? How do they reach out to you? What, what are the services you offer? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, right now, I um, am a fractional CMO. So I work with a very small number of companies at a time, essentially helping them both establish their marketing teams, establish their marketing processes and their strategies, and then getting all of those off the ground. Typically, I'm also training their team members so that they can kind of step in and take over. Uh, and, and sometimes I work with them on an ongoing basis. I also work with a lot of accelerators and incubators. Uh, and I love that work because I get to work as an as a entrepreneur in residence or an operator in residence. Mm -hmm. In terms of where you can find me, I'm really easy to find. Literally just Google my name and I'm on every social platform under the sun, including TikTok, which is new this year for me. <laughs> I am Very not on new. TikTok, but I'm not on TikTok, but I'm getting into Instagram reels. Erin, thank yes. you so much. <laughs> for sharing your knowledge. It was great to see you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.